This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Oh, here we go, boys. that sound. This is a good one. Good morning, good morning, it's grand to be on hand. Good morning, good morning to you. Oh, starting with a song, first time ever. A oh, little hand heart held up in the sky. Welcome everybody to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. I don't I have no explanation for um, that opening. Um, just go with it. Just, shh, just go with it. Um, recap and rant for this week. Woohoo! Uh, this one might run a little long. I got uh, a lot to talk about. So we're going to recap. And for the recap, I'm going to roll back to, uh, let's go back to Thursday. Thursday. So, you know, you get that, um, you should have been here yesterday thing you know whether it's fishing or hunting and man thursday and friday i didn't have clients and those were the two days i needed to have clients or buddies or random strangers who just wanted to sit in the field because holy crap those two days were the days to pile up some snow goose numbers thursday i had so (laughs) I scout all day. I go up and check. You know, I went all over the state. I'm in Arkansas. This is the actually this is the my last few hours here down in uh, northeast Arkansas as I record this in the lodge. I'm all packed up, ready to make the big move up into Missouri to keep chasing the snow geese up there. But so, anyways, I am scouting all over, checking out the state. Um, and so I get back, and finally, you know, the the whole day goes on, and I'm seeing birds. And, you know, there's there's like 
areas. It's not like even a field. You know, it's like, oh, they're in that field. They're in, they're in that field over there. No, it's like there's a general area, and they're field hopping. They're not They're not staying in any one spot. So even if you were to set up on a feed, per se, it might not help you in the morning, but it could because you're going to be in the general vicinity that they're at. So uh, pro tip, if that's something to think about, when you're out scouting and you see a big feed, and this could be anything. This could be honkers in the fall or, or whatever. You know, sometimes being on the X is pretty important. But especially in a situation like this where the birds are moving around, if you can't get permission for the field that they're in when you find them, look at a neighboring uh, field, especially if you know where the roost is. You know, unfortunately down here there, there really is no such thing as a roost. Uh, they just kind of go everywhere. But uh, a lot of times there's an actual roost. And if you can run traffic on those birds trying to get to the X, that could be just as good sometimes or really good if you have permission for both the traffic field and the X field, you can run traffic on your own birds so and not burn out that feed. Anyways, I digress. Back to the story. Anyways, so I'm finding I'm finding snow geese, areas of snow geese, but they're they're there's like a big gap of, you know, real estate in between these areas. You know, you drive for quite a while until you find another area that has geese. And the day's wearing on. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to head back, and I'll just hunt the last couple hours of the day, see what I see. I turn down the road. You know, I go get on the dirt road. You come up over this big hill, crosses the, the freeway, the highway, and I come down, and all I see is white. It's like right across from the field we have our spread in is absolutely shit stacked with snow geese right up to the road to the point like I stop a quarter mile earlier and I'm like, I don't, what am I going to do? They're, they're literally across the street from the field entrance where we park trucks at. I'm going to, if I try to get in there, I'm going to bust these things out. And I'm like, well, they're used to trucks. I'm going to just go, I'm like, screw it. If I, you know, for one, they were this whole entire field. And this is a big ass field. So, I mean, they were spread out way far to the west. So I'm like, well, even if I blow these first flocks out, they're not going to, you know, I'm not going to lose the whole the whole field and that their general area, they're probably hopping around anyway. So, I pull in and uh yeah, they do, they don't even fly. They just kind of put their heads up and and walk away slowly. And I'm like, "My god. What is even going on here?" I get out and I start getting in all, you know, getting dressed putting my hunting clothes on, getting my gun together, and they're just watching me. They're watching this whole thing go down, like 40 yards away. That's about as far as they walked away. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Of all the things, all the times, you know, you're you're belly crawling through the mud and you're trying to stay low and walking in some drainage ditch drainage ditch to do this, to, to jump shoot these geese. And he apparently you just gotta walk around like you're a you know a FedEx delivery man, and uh, they don't care. So you know, forget the cow decoy cutout or whatever. If you're gonna jump shoot geese, I would say try to rent an old FedEx or UPS truck, and uh, you know, walk around with a box. And then when you get ready to shoot them, just drop the box and, and shoot them. Because apparently <laughs> they don't care about you know. Just don't look like a hunter. I think that's 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 the uh, that's the the, the pro tip there. So anyways, although I was dressing up as a hunter and they still didn't care. And I thought about shooting them because I could have ground pounded a bunch of them. But then I thought, okay, A, a it's only me. What do I, I, I can't, 
I'm down here. You know, it's not like I can run back and put a bunch of these birds in the freezer or grind them up or do whatever. Like, whatever I kill by myself, like, I have to take. I have to somehow use or I got to preserve. or It's kind of a pain in the butt. So, in reality, I don't personally don't want to shoot that many uh, at a time. And I had clients coming in that weekend, you know, in two days. I'm like, well, hopefully this area will hold these birds. I'm thinking I want to get them on a good shoot, so let's not blow these out of the county. So I just pack up, I get my stuff, and I walk out to the field. And, yeah, we're covered. I mean, there's just, like, birds flying everywhere. Uh, They're coming in nice and close. I don't remember what I shot that day. Um, uh, I don't think it was a ton, but there was a couple really good groups that uh, you really wanted to, you know, if I had guns in the field, it would have been ridiculous. Also, it should note that when I'm hunting by myself, I'm using a Vinci, and I don't have the extended tube on it, so it's just I got the three shots. And, again, if you're like, why are you spring stogies hunting with three shots? Well, I don't need a zillion. I mean, I, for me personally, by my by myself, you know, I'm out there mostly for the show, and, yeah, some come in, I'm going to shoot them, but um, – I don't need 100 birds myself. That's kind of ridiculous. So that goes down. I'm like, that is just absurd. So the next day rolls around, and I hunt the morning, and they're not, they kind of move. It got real cold. Like, it got down to freezing that night. I think it got down to, like, 20 degrees. So all the sheet water had frozen. So they must, I don't know where they roosted or where they went, but they weren't in the field when I got there the next morning. So I was like, well, maybe they might be gone. Well, as the morning comes up, they start popping over the trees from the east, and uh, there's a kind of creek over there, so that that's probably where they're at. There's probably a big flooded part of that creek, and that's probably where they roosted. And then kind of like two feeds or congregations, loaves, whatever, set up. One little one to my north, and then another, like, a big one to the southwest. And then eventually that one from the north got up and flew and joined that one from the southwest. So that one just got big, 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 big. It basically repeated the same thing that happened the day before, but just like another mile or more southwest. And I was changing the spread. I had the spread was kind of – it wasn't really set up. Or I was just going to try something new. Because what had been happening is the birds have been coming in and they're getting right to the edge of the decoys and they're either picking up really high or they're skirting the edge of it. So I'm like, well, screw it. I'm going to move. I'm going to get a nice hard edge. And we had a south wind for like four days coming up. So I'm like, I'm going to change the spread around so it perfectly suits the south wind. And I'm going to have all my guys right on the edge. So if these birds get to the edge and pick up or they get to the, you know, try to skirt around the edge of it, no matter where they kind of come at, we should, we'll be in a better position to shoot them. So I kind of had it, you know, I had it really tightly packed right at that, would be the northern edge of the spread. So they're coming into a south wind. And then kind of, I'm trying to, how would I describe this? Um, So it's kind of narrow right at the beginning too. So, and then stretches out. And then I made it look really wide in like the behind us. So, you know, as they're coming in, two reasons I was doing that. One, it makes the, you know, in theory, you're making the spread look bigger as they're coming into it, you know, instead of long and skinny. Um, kind of, you know, spreading it out. I wasn't doing a teardrop. I didn't do any U or donut or anything. I don't believe in that nonsense. I kind of just tried to do it random, um, but had the the thickest part right behind us, well, right in us, right in the front line, and then kind of tapers off, and then I just kind of went willy-nilly everywhere. But I made it really long, stretching east to west. 
The other reason I did that is because as I've been out scouting around, that's what I've been seeing. Like, obviously, when you have a whole field full of birds and there's 30,000 in a field, it's a blob. There, there's, there's no sh- – I mean, they're, they're landing wherever they can. So, I mean, unless you have 30,000 decoys, you can't really, can't really mimic that. But what I was seeing, like some of those first geese that land – the first couple flocks, and you're talking maybe a thousand, fifteen hundred. They kind of do. They kind of, they kind of spread out in a big, long, skinny line. So I was trying to mimic that to see if that got any better response from the birds. Because really, to be honest, they haven't been decoying well at all. Um, so that's so I went and I went Friday. That's what I did, and I spent um, after hunting just the morning. Then I spent the rest of the day. You know, and I had to run into town. So I hunted the morning till like nine thirty. Then I run into town. Uh, get some supplies. Um, can't remember what I was getting, but I well, I know I got some stuff to make snow goose tacos. That'll come into the story later. And then, um, so the middle part of the day, I was I was tasking in town, and then I came back to readjust the spread, and then hunt that afternoon. So as I'm readjusting spread and I'm picking everything up, I'm just I, these birds are hopping around and they're getting closer and closer. They hop over, they're working, they're, they're staying to the south, and they're starting to work to the east, and then they start working to the north. And I'm still rushing to try to get all these decoys spread and the line set and all this stuff, and I finished just in time. I mean, I had a couple flocks kind of go over top of me while I was while I was working, but they were in our field when I finished. And then I finally sit down, and then the big – blob the masses pick up and they fly north and they set down just outside the decoys probably 100 yards or so and there's just a bunch of them and there was a few times that birds went over me and there was actually there was a time that a, like a pretty good bunch got over top of me pretty low 25 30 yards and I, I pulled up and honestly I didn't pull the trigger because I didn't know where to look like it wasn't a solid blanket of birds it was like there's three there there's five there's eight there's two there's one and somewhere lower and closer and i was like i don't which one i don't know which one to shoot and you know i was kind of hoping to see something cool like a collar or a you know leg band hanging down or something like that which i didn't um but it was chaos and i was like i just didn't shoot which whatever if i would have i would have probably blown that that the main wad out anyways and about 15 minutes later, they just do their field hopping thing, and here they come over me, just a giant wave of them. <laughs> it was unbelievable. I mean, if they were even the 20 yards up, would have been, yeah, I suppose they are probably 20 yards. But I just get covered up, and I shoot into them. You know, again, I only have the three, the three shots, so I can only do so much damage. I think I got five out of that flock. And then they peeled off, of course. But they still landed in the same field. Some of them kept flying, but like half of them went, just kind of went uh, off to the southwest and put down out there. So they want to be in that area, which is good. And then I ended up shooting a few more as the night went on. I think I finished with 10 uh, that that night. So that was pretty wild. Had I, again, had you had guns in the field when that giant wad came over, that would have been one of those legit rainouts. I mean, it would have been, ah, uh, man, that would have been cool. Yet, no clients, just me. So Saturday rolls around, and I do have my clients. And I have seven guys. I believe they were from Louisiana. Is that right? Yes, Louisiana. And uh, so that was pretty cool. They're a good group of guys. You know, I've, I've been, I'm on a pretty good streak with the clients I've had this year. I haven't had any problems with anybody. Everybody's been super cool. Um, so 
even if we're not shooting birds and whatever, like it's been, it's been fun sharing the blind with these guys and just shooting the shit and seeing the sights and sounds. So we set up uh, Saturday morning. Well, we're already set up. We get in the field and we start hunting. We got to the field a little bit late. So I meet them at the gas station. We come home, not like crazy late, but then they kind of, you know, took their time getting ready and getting dressed up and didn't really miss too much. I mean, I saw a couple of flocks kind of fly over the spread, but not super close. I mean, there's obviously the way these geese are, there's definitely no guarantee that they were going to, that they were going to decoy. But the fact that we weren't out there and the e-collar wasn't going and all that, blah, blah, blah. Um, so we get out there and these birds just don't, they're doing what they're doing. They just, today they just don't want to decoy. Now that we have a south wind and everything's set up for it, they're just not, they're not doing what we want to do. And we did shoot into a few good flocks um and just not that much fell we sailed a bunch and oh that's the guy who had his dog out there so as soon as i see the dog hop out of the truck and i got nervous because right when they pulled in i looked at the truck and there was a dog blind in the back i was like what is that and i looked i'm like that's a dog blind and then the dog gets out and i was like ah no Uh, i mean i don't know about you but the vast majority of dogs that i've hunted with Are not that great. I mean, and I don't even want to put the pressure on the dogs because the dog is just a dog. I mean, it's going to do what it's going to do. It's up to the trainer. So the training that they put in isn't usually that great. And so, I mean, I don't know, 1% of the dogs I've hunted with are, are decent. Usually it's you spend the day and they're just yelling at their dog. Get over here. Get, no, drop that. Leave it. And they're just yelling at it. And then the really bad ones are, like, kicking it when it doesn't do what it's supposed to. And they yell, you know, they yell five commands at it. and doesn't do any of them. So then it smacks it. It has no idea what's even being corrected for. And it's just, you know, shitty dog handling, basically, what it boils down to. So I was like, uh, yeah, here goes, you know. Uh, but much to my surprise, and I figured it out pretty quickly, I wasn't going to have to worry about this dog because he had a good heel. He had a training collar on him and he knew how to use it he didn't use it as a correctional tool you know right away i was like all right this dog might not be too bad and when it sat in his kennel it stayed in its kennel and didn't whine i know some dogs get so excited that the whole time they're in the kennel all you hear all day is it you know they're just so excited they want to get out there or they break and they you know whatever this dog didn't do that, man. I, for, I forgot there was even a dog in the field till we needed it. And the few times we absolutely needed it because we sailed these birds way far. And that dog was great, man. There's, there was one. Well, that was, well, whatever. I'll jump. It, just keep on the story of the dog. It was the following. It was the last day. And the, we sailed one way over there. And we went to go get it. And, you know, we're walking into the general area. And I don't see it, I don't see it. And then the client saw it. He's like, oh, there it is. And it was right in the corner of this field, kind of tall grass. And right when he said that, I saw it, like, poked his head up. I'm like, so then he got his dog ready. And he didn't just, like, send the dog right there. He, like, got him heel, and he was trying to get him to mark the bird, and he didn't mark the bird. So he just sent him. He sent him blind, and he kind of was veering off to the left. Then he would stop him, you know, with the whistle, and then give the arm signal, and then it would go that way, and then kind of deviate i suppose he was catching who knows what he was catching sights or maybe he saw something else then he would kind of deviate and he'd whistle he'd stop he'd give him the arm signal he'd go eventually he got close enough and then the bird saw him and it started taking off well once he marked that bird man then the race was on that bird took off it actually could still fly like it still it just had like that last bit of wing on one wing was kind of broken so it could still fly just not great so it's flying it's just not really gaining altitude it's just strafing the ground about three four feet up 
but it's flying pretty fast. And this dog is it's running as hard as it can. And it doesn't seem it's like an even race, but that gap is still what that gap is. And then they, I mean, they went way down this field, and then the goose made a mistake. I suppose it got tired or couldn't really fly very good. Whatever the thing was, then it decided to fly down to the ground, and that was. That was a dumb move. And then she caught up to it, and, and the rest is history. But um, that was pretty cool. I actually caught most of that on my Snapchat. So if you're not following me on Snapchat, you can go ahead and please do that. It's just Dale Luganville on Snapchat. Um, and then you can watch those shenanigans. But that was pretty cool. And uh, what did we finish with that day? I don't remember. It wasn't very, it wasn't very many. Single digits, I'm sure. And then the next day... They were just doing a, a half day Sunday. And so how did that play out? Play that wasn't that long ago, but my memory sucks. Uh it wasn't we weren't seeing a ton of stuff. Uh I think we shot a couple more. Or maybe one more. Was it one more? No, we didn't shoot anything. We didn't even fire a shot. That's right. Um Yeah, we didn't even fire a shot. We had a couple that kinda came in and were gonna look like they were good gonna do it and just didn't do it and we honestly just didn't really see that much and i was surprised with that south wind i thought we'd see a lot more but then we had um a group come in they had they had already booked a group with somebody else and that outfitter had canceled on them saying there was they were down by stuttgart and they said oh the birds are gone plus the crop dusters are flying around so they canceled their trip and these guys had already had it planned and everything else so they started calling around and they got a hold of of us and we had you know kind of worked it out like yeah come on out we'll you know hunt the rest of the day if you want by the time you get here you can you know hunt the afternoon so that's what they did they got you know i ran to quick i grabbed lunch and uh was able to relax for about an hour and then they showed up and we headed out to the field it was just two guys and uh they were from missouri actually but where in Missouri they were, it was closer for them to come down here than to kind of go up to Mount City where everybody's at and all the pressure. And, yeah, the main water birds is up there. But I can tell you, at least as of right now, there's plenty of birds in Arkansas yet. They're just, you know, now it's the kind of time where you got to be able to run and gun and set up on feeds. Um, lots of juvies and rosses, but they're, you know, few and far between. you got to go find them. Uh, but they're the ones that work better. Uh, allegedly, and, and so we we hunted that afternoon, uh, shot a couple. We had some good ones work. We had was that that night? No, that was the next morning. Um, yeah, so we had you know we saw a lot migrating actually that night, and then Sunday morning came up, and again they were just going to do a half day, and uh, it was nice and like misty. And foggy, really low ceiling. We didn't see anything right away. Oh, they were late to the field because uh, they had found a place for beer. <laughs> they they forgot that there are dry counties in Arkansas yet to this day. Isn't that weird? There's still 2020. There are dry counties in this country where you cannot buy a beer. That That's just crazy. Anyways, so they're like, oh, crap, we should have got beer before we left. And I was like, well, there's... They sell them at bars in town. They're like, oh, I thought it was complete. I'm like, no, you can still get them. So they went in town, and apparently they found the beer because they were um, a little over an hour late. They got to the field about 7.30. But I was out there, and, you know, they showed up. I was like, yeah, you didn't miss much. You kind of did the right thing because 
I would say before they got there, it was only about a half hour before they got there was when I started seeing the first birds, and nothing was really working. And these birds were, they were flocked up like they were migrating, but they could only, you know, the ceiling was like super low. It's kind of those ones that they just materialize out of the fog, and um, but the fog wasn't down low; it was like up high, basically really low clouds. But they were, they weren't even looking. Like they would fly straight over the spread. You'd hear them; they'd get excited as they went over, but they, they wouldn't even break formation they would just keep going but we did have one group break down really nice and gave us a, a good show and uh, we shot into them you know we at one point point in time i thought we were going to get a legit spin start a little like snaking corkscrew spin on this on this group group of birds because they started to do that but then like the main wad kept going and then the other ones were spinning around and we had a bunch of like singles and doubles and triples all kind of spread out. And their wings just cup and they're gliding and they're starting to get lower. And then there's like the bigger wad that was spinning around getting lower. And I kind of told the clients like, oh, we might have to let some of these low ones pass. And we can get that, that big giant wad in. Because it looked like they were going downwind, but then they were going to turn and come in, which is what you want. And then that other, you know, then you can get that bunched up layer system above you when you shoot. And you get the ones you're shooting at. And then you get some... Um, extras that are above it but that didn't pan out that way and as they were coming in the ones that we had in range because of that flock was moving away i thought about not calling a shot and see if they'd come around even closer but then i thought with that big that big group peeling off and continuing north and these other ones are skirting us on our left and they're turning now they may have been turning to come back around but they could have also been turning to just take off so i was like uh we better shoot into these so we shoot boom 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 first you know i see a couple birds fall and we keep shooting and they all peel away we're like oh man that was awesome and i get up to go get the birds and i'm like i don't see anything in the field and i'm like there's how am i go how many do we get and the client's like i don't think we got any i was like what i saw two fall they're like yeah they fell but they kept flying i was like what because I, when i like well, the first one i pulled the trigger on it crumpled like its wings stopped flapping like it fell i stopped marking that one i went on to the next bird and started shooting and in my periphery i saw another one fall out and i i guess they just i don't know they kept flying so we didn't get anything out of that flock which was ridiculous but these guys are they're hunters they understood and they're like man this show was like that was awesome that was pretty because they were super happy and um they were enjoying all there's a ton of pintails down here they're they're enjoying all the the ducks flying around and that's the kind of hunters you want like they get it they're there for the experience you know father son spending time in the field they get the bigger picture and it's not you know they they're not the ones that just got all jacked up watching youtube videos and are going to come out to spread thinking it's going to be 150 bird day like oh my god did i bring enough shells um they're realistic and that's all you can hope for and it was really great good conversation and they you know then they kind of slowed down that day and they had to drive back to missouri so they they cut out at about uh 9 30 or no i think it was later than that 10 30 maybe 10 30 11 somewhere in there anyways so they pack up and uh we head back to trucks and send them on their way uh, but i did talk to them about uh potentially coming up to minnesota they like the fish and stuff so i'm like well i guide back back in minnesota um bass fishing and stuff and hopefully Spoiler alert. Uh, I'm hoping to guide um, goose hunts this fall, too. So we'll see if I can get all my 
ducks in a row uh, in time to do that. So keep that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to get on a goose hunt this fall. Look for that. Uh, but also, uh, we are coming in the spring. Now it's a good time to give me a call if you want to get on some uh, great bass fishing. So we'll do that. Uh, quick plug there for Full Scale Outdoors Guide Service. <clears throat> um, anyway, so they got pretty jacked up about that. And they're like, oh, you got a card? So I gave them a card. And they're like, yeah, we're, we were talking about that last night, actually, maybe coming up there and doing it. I'm like, yeah, come up in the fall. We'll do a casting blast. Shoot some honkers in the morning. Go catch some bass in the afternoon. And then their eyes kind of lit up. I'm like, yeah, that'd be fun. Oh, so we'll see if anything happens there. But now that's it. We don't have any more clients in Arkansas. It's I'm a kind of a one man army down here in this area, so I can't. I mean, there's still birds in Arkansas, and you could effectively hunt them, but not with one guy. There's no way I can run around and chase feeds and set up and tear down the spread by myself, uh, because as I found out, it takes about four and a half hours for me to pick up a spread <laughs> by myself. And we have a lot of decoys. There's like seven bags of decoys, and then there's the rotaries, and the blah, 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 the blinds. But, yeah, I, um, when they left, I took a quick, just a real quick break, like 15 minutes to eat a snack and drink some coffee, and then uh, headed back out. And I pretty much started at noon, and I had everything picked up, loaded in the trailer, trailer hooked up the truck, like full-on, ready to drive away, Um at 4:45, so it took me four hours and 45 minutes, almost exactly, to get that whole thing set up myself. And also the it rained on me a lot. The rain was supposed to be done, but then like some mist picked up, and I was like, eh, no big deal. Then it started light rain, eh, still no big deal. And I kind of look around, and you you know it's gonna rain hard when like it's white. You know, I'm like, oh no, this is like a legit downpour. Yeah, it proceeded to. And it was like, it wasn't sustained like that. It would rain super hard for like 15 minutes and then it would dry out and then sun would even try to peek out and then another one would come in. It was like three of those like ultimate downpours happened while I was picking up. I just got soaked. I mean, it wasn't really cold, even though the wind was blowing like crazy. Otherwise, it always seems like when I'm picking up a snow goose spread, the wind is doing that 30-mile-an-hour nonsense. So it's like you're carrying, trying to hold on to an arm full of socks, and they're just, you know, trying to drag you across the field. But anyways, got her all picked up, uh, and that and that, that brings us to right here. Well, the other part of the um, recap is I'm going to get into – is the Minnesota Made Outdoors Ice Fishing League, Panfish League there, back in Minnesota. The last event was this weekend, and uh, obviously I was not able to be a part of that because I was down here, and I knew that already, and I didn't think, um, you know, I knew it was coming up. So I found, uh, we found a substitute. Sean Lanky, who's a great angler, he has lots of tournament experience. He fished the UPL, and, and so he knows, you know, he's a good stick. And so I knew we were in capable hands for that. Because going into this event, Joel and I, team full scale, were in second place, uh, down seven points. And Leaf and Nick are in first place. Solidly. Because <laughs> up to this, they had a first place, a second place, and a first place. This is which brings us to why we were down seven points. And so I knew this whole thing, I knew this was going to happen for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I did get to pre-fish one day before I, I left for Arkansas to guide snow goose hunting. 
Um, so that was nice. And I've been on the phone with Joel when working through strategies and pouring over maps. And, you know, I, I still wanted to be active in the team, um, not just sitting on the sidelines. So that, that part was cool. And so leading up to the event, I was like, oh, man, do I – do I want updates or do I not want updates? Like, I don't know how I'm going to react the day of the tournament. Like, is it going to be better to just concentrate on like, hunting and whatever happens, happens, and I'll find out after the fact? Or do I want to know and, like, MLF get score tracker updates? And, you know, I, I didn't know. That was Saturday. I was, I was just kind of – I didn't know. So Sunday rolls around, and I wake up, like – really uneasy and emotion I can't even put into words like I don't even know if there's a word that describes what I was feeling it was I was anxious I was excited um you know kind of there a lot of the same emotions that you would get if I was actually fishing that day fishing the event itself but yet mixed in with that was were these weird emotions that I've never felt before from not being there not you know like this is all going on but almost a feeling of helplessness if you will like I can't do anything about it like you just you have to wait like almost like I don't know like you're watching what could be a wreck and you don't know, you know, like, are they going to get hurt? I hope they don't get hurt. You know, I, I don't know. That's I'm, I'm trying to put this in the words, but I honestly, I don't know what the emotion is or the emotions, plural, that were going on. But I was, I was very uneasy. I was very unsettled, and there was definitely an element of I was missing, I was missing the league. I was missing the the guys and gal that we have there. Um, I was just missing it because the. Man, and this and this is the only ice fishing league I've ever been a part of, so I, I can't speak for the other ones out there. But I gotta assume it's very similar. There's a a really tight bond and a camaraderie that you develop with these these people because it's a shared challenge. You know, you're pre-fishing, you're you're fishing the event, and then you're sharing time afterwards, and you're sharing beers, and um, it really, man, it, it really develops into a tight community. And one of the big emotions that I definitely was feeling that morning was a longing. Like I was, I was missing these guys. And, uh, so I, I called, I called, um, uh, Giz to just, uh, I, I didn't do it early enough, What I wanted to do, I FaceTimed him and I wanted to be able to, you know, we kind of do this little, before the event, everybody gathers around and, 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 uh, Giz usually gives a little bit of a speech or Jake does about, you know, Let's be safe. Let's, you know, good luck out there, blah, 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 blah. You know, your usual usual pre-tournament um, rally, go through all the rules or whatnot. Anyways, I wanted to get a hold of him there, so hopefully he could, like, hold the phone up and I could just say hi to everybody and wish everybody good luck and wish I could be there. But it was too late, and he was, I'm pretty sure he was on a sled, and they were getting close to, you know, everybody was probably lined up in their heats because there's four heats that take off, and um, I kind of commented that. But he did answer, and. I just wished him good luck, and goddamn, I'll be honest with you, as I'm talking to him, and it was real quick, like, I legitimately started getting choked up, and I do, I'm, people that know me, I'm not that guy, I'm not, and it's not like I'm the tough guy that chokes down his feelings, like, I'm not going to cry, I'm not going to do, but 
I'm just not. I'm 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 usually naturally, you know, kind of stoic and you know, I'm I'm immune to Hallmark commercials basically, you know what I mean? Like I'm not trying to be a tough guy, an artificial tough guy. That's not that's not what I'm saying. Uh, I'm just not an overly emotional person like that. But yeah, I got like I the had the in my throat, you know, you get that knot in your throat. Like I was getting I was legit emotional and um I told him that and I was like I got to get off this I'm not before I start actually crying here, <laughs> like I gotta, I gotta go. So I'm like, and I can see he's busy. I'm like, guys, I really miss being there, and wish everybody good luck, and uh, be thinking about you. And so, yeah, hung up, and I was like, Phew. man, that was what was that? That was tough. <laughs> Whew. But then as the day goes on, and I talk to my clients, and think that they're cool about it. I'm like, here's the deal. Um, I usually try to stay off my phone when I'm in the field with clients. You know, I'd like to engage them in conversation. Uh, but come two o'clock way in time, uh, I'm going to have to watch this live. So just so you know, and they're like, that's cool, man. No problem. They understood. So that, that, so the whole day goes on and I'm, you know, I text at one point in time, I called Jake cause he usually runs around and he'll talk to teams and, you know, and I didn't want to get any real information. You know, I just want to like, so how's it going? How's the general bite? Is it a tough bite? Is it a good, is everybody got full bags? Like, how's this going? And uh, he's like, ah, it's, people are catching fish, and um, there's some really good fish being caught. And he you know, didn't get a ton of information because he hadn't been running around checking people's buckets. He was actually fishing just for fun. And, they, and as I was talking to him, he caught a really nice bluegill. So I was like, oh, well, the fish are biting. So there, that's something. And I couldn't get any text from Joel, which turns out after the fact was because he didn't have much to tell me at first. The first half of their day was, I guess, not that great. Um, and when I don't know what time it was, like eleven, he's like, I was like, well, you had a full bag, and they're like, no, I was like, that's not good, and I was like, is the bite tough? And he said, yeah, they're super finicky. I'm like, oh, well, that's good. Like, I like, I like a tough bite. I'm confident in their ability, um, on a tough bite. I think that, I think a tough bite works in our favor, um, because if if the fish are just biting like everybody's catching fish at that point it's almost like a coin toss because you know the the fish are hungry everybody's catching fish but when it's tough then like the skill really comes out and i don't mean that to sound like cocky you know or overconfident but it just meaning if everybody is guaranteed a bucket of fish you know it's like well who knows who's going to come out on top but if it if you really have to work on it there's going to be a bigger gap between those that have full bags or good bags and those that don't um you know that's that's all i'm trying to say but i do like our chances when it when it gets like that so as it goes down i'm talking to him uh texting him and finally finally he texts me back we just got our full bag i was like oh thank god at least we got that and he sent i don't know if it was voice text or he just was in a hurry but he sent a text that i misread and i thought he said that most everybody has a full bag. And I was like, oh, really? That surprised me. Because as the one time I got the scout and pre-fish with him and then following along with his pre-fishing and scouting escapades, it's been a tough bite for almost like the whole time. Like, so if like they, I was like, they must have just turned on that day or something and everybody's killing them. And then I kind of reread. I'm like, wait, 
do you mean do you mean they do have full bags or don't have full bags? And then he said don't. And I was like, oh, oh, so that could be good. If we have a full bag and not that many teams have full bags, all right, well, that means we're in the blah, blah, blah. So I don't really hear from him until, like, it's way in time or close to it. And he's giving me kind of the rundown. Like, he, I think he told me, like, only – four teams had full bags that he talked to. So I'm like, well, we're in the top four at least, <laughs> you know, more than likely if we have a full bag. Uh, but as I watched the weigh-in, there was more than four teams that had full bags. It uh, was, still wasn't a lot. It may have been only been five or six. Um, I'd have to go back and look. I'm not quite sure. Um, but it still wasn't that. But then he goes, but Leaf and Nick also have a full bag. Oh, crap. I mean, that was like we needed them to not get a full bag. Had they not had a full bag, there would have been a chance because we had seven points. Like, however, whether whether we finished first and they finished eighth or we finished eighth and they finished, you know, 15th, whatever, like we still – we needed a gap. We needed a big gap. And I knew it was unlikely because coming into this event, they'd taken first, then second, and then first again. So, I mean, it's unlikely you're fishing a season like that where you're the last event, you're just going to lay an egg. Like I did. It was unlikely, but it was possible. So as it works out, because we were in second place overall and they were in first, it's like flipped how you weigh in. So the last place team weighs in first, and you know you got to build the, the you got to build the intensity. <laughs> and so I had a I had a lot of a lot of waiting, but man, there's some good bags coming in. Even the ones that didn't have full bags were were good, like good weights, not even full bags, like just big fish in general. And uh, that's a pretty special fishery. I, I could see myself fun fishing that one in the future. Uh, but then it finally gets to us, and he's like, uh, and Joel's freaking out. He's like, would you hurry? I we, I just got to hurry up and weigh this bag. And when he told me that, I was like, oh, you have a good bag. Like, that's why you want to see. Like, I think you I think you think you have something. And they get they get to us. And it's Joel and Lanky, team full scale there. And they put the fish on the scale. And Jake says, new leader. All right. 12.4 pounds, which I think at the time is a Minnesota-made record. And then Leaf and Nick get up there and new leader are you kidding me they weigh 12.6.22 tenths of a pound behind first place so not only did they not win the event and leaf and nick did they were able to hold on to a league record for about a minute (laughs) what a great bag though i mean 12.4 that's a huge bag and then twelve six comes in, like, <clears throat> but I I gotta tip my hat to Leaf and Nick. You guys killed it this year. I mean, that's as close to total domination as the league has ever had. I mean, that's a record, um, like <clears throat> win loss record. If you call it a loss, but to go first, second, first, first, like they literally only missed out on one available point all year. Like that is domination. That is a record that is going to stand for a long time because the only way to beat that, obviously, is to run a clean sweep. That's just crazy. I mean, honest to God, guys, you get um, – wow. I'm just – that's all I can say. Like, it doesn't even hurt to come in second. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, and Joel and I fish clean all year. We fish good all year. We did – 
you know, sixth place was our, our worst finish, and that was in the first event. And, you know, it would have been nice to finish better, but that was a perfect example of what I was saying before, like when everybody's catching fish, because I think everybody came in with a full bag, or almost everybody came in with a full bag on that first event in Chisago. So it kind of came in. You know, one of the teams that finished really high was right next to us, you know, and we were fishing the same fish basically. And that's what I mean by it's kind of a coin flip at that point because, you know, luck, if everybody's catching fish, there's a bigger element of luck. There's always an element of luck, but skill can overpower luck for sure, especially when it's tough. But when everybody's catching fish, luck becomes more of a factor. And with that, we were still able to take six, but that kind of, you know, that kind of put us down, and then we won the next event, um, and then, you know, go from there, but, uh, yeah, it was frustrating, that that sixth place, but now I'm not frustrated with how the season turned out. We finished the season in second place. We met our goals. Um, coming into this season, we finished top 10 last year as rookies in the league, and, you know, Phil and Jake asked me, like, well, what are your goals this year? And I said, well, you always want to improve. So we did top 10 last year. I want to be top five, and I want to win a lake. Damn it. I want one of those plaques. And we were able to do that event, too, on Clearwater Lake. Uh, Joel and I won. We got our plaques. Super stoked about that. Um, And then we just had to finish the rest of the season out strong to lock down that top five. And we did it. We got top. We were second place. So we met met our goals. Going into next year, I guess goal-wise would be, if you're going to improve, I would say let's win two events. Two events would be great. Or to at least hold our position. You know, let's stay in the top five. Let's win at least one lake and, you know, go from there. Uh, But if you're – it seems ridiculous. Like, oh, goal-wise, you got to always improve. I mean, humbly, I'll say, you know, if we could win two events, that would be great. But – and obviously you're chasing team of the year. So if we can – win team of the year that would be a goal for sure but i think that's always a goal for everybody every year um but we have knowing where we are like as a team our skill level there's things that we have yet to learn there's definitely room for improvement for us and as there is with all these teams i mean even from last year to this year i've watched teams get better and better and better um that's one of the many things I love about this league and the camaraderie that we have is that we share information. You know, we'll help people out, especially in pre-fishing. You know, hey, have you tried this? Have you done this jig? Or, you know, um, whatever it might be. And it's really making all of us better anglers. Like, we're we're polishing this thing. And as a league, this league is getting real tough to be competitive in, like, big time. So let's see how – chips fall we got a lot of stuff to work on in the off season um i'm i'm not sure i'm going to make it back to minnesota in time to get i'd love to get some more ice fishing in if i can to kind of you know work out some of these techniques and just get some um experience doing it but definitely next year first ice rolls around i'm going to be looking for forward to it um getting out and trying and trying to add some tools you know uh we got to get better. We got we got to strive and uh we got to work hard. We got to just got to work hard to to maintain our position and I think Joel said it when I was talking to him the other day is like we just, you know, you can't 
assume anything and you and you can't, you know, just go crazy goal-wise like, well, we got to break that record and we're going to do a clean sweep. And, I mean, that's just – there's too many good sticks in this league to do that. It just wouldn't be real. Um, but to hold our position. And like what he said is we just need to fish clean, do what we do, and keep ourselves in a position to do well, you know. If that makes any sense, you know, I know Ike and Ellie talked when he was an MLF and they were actually fishing in Minnesota. They were interviewing him and he was, he hadn't won like an MLF event and he's like, he's been close, you know, he's like, and then he finally won that one. He's like, it's been saying it and saying it and saying it. Like you got to put yourself in a position to win and eventually it will happen. If you're doing everything you can right, eventually that ball bounces your way. So we just got to continue to do that, strive to get better, do everything we can that we can, we got to get better at controlling the elements that we can control, you know, whether the fish bite or not, or somebody else, you know, gets the luck or, you know, whatever. You got to take the luck element out of it. You have to work at and polish the thing that the things that you can control. And then at the, after that, you just got to let the chips fall where they may. And I, you know, I felt like we fished pretty clean. We didn't dump many fish. Um, We made our plans for the most part. We stuck to our plans, our strategies, and uh, and we got second place. So good job, everybody. It was a great season. I look forward to doing it again next year with all y'all and the friendships that we've made along the way. You know, in the off season, let's get together. Let's let's uh, bass fish. Let's go catfishing and share some beers on the banks of a river or something. You know, let's. I love the friendships and the and the connections that we've made in this league. It's pretty pretty phenomenal. And uh, I'm not going to steal anybody's thunder. I'm just going to put a little teaser out there that there's some kind of big things in the works um, under the Minnesota Made Outdoors kind of banner there. So go find Minnesota Made Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram. Follow them. Follow along with all the excitement. Well, that brings us to... The rant part of the recap and rant. Uh, and we're going to kind of stick with the um, uh, environment. No, what would it be? Conservation theme? What was I going off about that I just went off the rails last last week? Oh, about resorts. Oh, I guess it's kind of different. But we talked about uh, a few weeks back, we talked about the, um, the culling of the mountain goats in the Tetons, which by the way, they went through with, I just, I saw that they gunned them down with helicopters and like the government governor of the state tried to stop it. And that that's not what my rant's going to be about. just as a side note to kind of stay up to date on that one. Um, but they, you know, cause it's federal state and they just, they, they did it anyways. I don't know. I just think, ugh, I just, I don't understand that. That one, that one frustrates me, but I'm not going to get sidetracked on that. So just so you know, if you if you're interested in that, go ahead and do a quick Google. I'm sure you'll get a bunch of articles on it, and you can stay up to speed with what's going on with the mountain goats in the Grand Tetons. But there was a post on Facebook. Um, it was the Bow Hunters of America Facebook page, and it's a it's a a story I've seen shared. It's not even a new story. Like it's it's been around, and it was just the difference between a two and a half year old wolf and a mature coyote killed in Montana, and they have them strung up in the tree, and it's this huge black wolf. And yeah, it's easily twice the size of that coyote, if not, you know, one and or one and a half times or two and a half, whatever that would be. It's huge, like absolutely massive. I mean, that's all the headline says. It doesn't even say anything. Um, and it was Muley Pursuit page on Facebook. I don't follow them, but that was um, they're the ones that posted it. 
I don't think it I've seen that picture floating around for a couple of years, so it is what it is. But then the Wolves this I don't know. The the wolf hysteria kicked in. And you see all these people I don't know, I'll here's the guy that posted it, I'll just read what, what he said. He's like, got to see a Canadian gray wolf in Wyoming this past fall, exactly like this one, and sadly, they are sure raising hell on the wildlife and livestock. Devastatingly, most of the animals they take down, they don't eat. In my opinion, many others, bad choice of wolf replacement for the western states. These wolves should have never been brought down to lower 48. They may be end, they may be end to our western elk, mule deer, and moose, according to the locals. That mentality is just so ridiculous. And first of all, I'll correct him because when they brought him, he says they brought him down to lower 48. Minnesota has always had wolves. Always. Even when they were extirpated from the West, they have, we've always, like, I think in the 70s, they were down to, you know, just a few hundred uh, in Minnesota. But now we have a lot. And they're introducing them in the Western states. And, you know, you're talking about in the hundreds, basically their population and these people are freaking out and of course you read the comments and just like last week you know i let myself get emotionally vested in this thing and i just you basically got into uh you know a pissing match online and it got a little heated at times and i and i try not to do that um because i want to keep the dialogue open i don't, I don't want to get into a you know i poke your chest you poke my chest you call me an idiot i call you an idiot it's like ugh. Because it was getting a lot of that. You know, I was getting a lot of that, you're stupid, or you're, I was like, I, you can't, you know, and, and that puts me on the defensive. So I'm like, you can't, I'm sorry, but I don't have to pat myself on the back, but you can't read my responses and just call me an idiot. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm writing out thought out things. Like, you know, an idiot posting is like, you're a poo-poo head and wolves are bad, okay? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it's, I'm giving you actual points to think about. You're confusing a different opinion with being stupid. And in general, I think over social media, no matter what the subject, I think we can all agree on that that is what happens. That if you don't agree with me, you're a moron. You're an idiot. Well, that's not the case. This is why we have to try to actively, and I'm imploring everybody listening to this, as you... If you're on social media and you engage in debates, whatever the subject, I don't care if it's about hunting or fishing or politics or movies or whatever it is, your favorite UFC fighter, it doesn't matter. Keep in the back of your mind, let's be adults. All right, let's have a conversation. Having a different opinion or a different perspective on something isn't wrong. It's just that. It's different. So how you work through things is you listen to that person. You try to see their perspective. You don't have to. I'm not saying have to agree with it. You just take in what they're saying as information. You mix that with your own experiences and your own opinions. And then you can think on it and you can come up with, if you still don't agree with them, maybe there are points that they made that you didn't think of before. Right? That might, you know, then you... More information is always better. You can be more informed. And then if it still doesn't hold up to to your scrutiny, then you can come back with a measured response of, I understand where you're coming from. 
I see how you think that, but here is my perspective, and here are the things that I know and why I don't think that's necessarily correct. All right? Boom. Easy to do, right? Can we please just start doing that instead of calling each other snowflakes and just pissing on each other? That doesn't get anywhere. So anyways... This thing kind of kept going, and and yeah, and the guy was basically calling me out, like, and there was one point where he goes, you know, I'm curious to see where you're from, because most times in these these debates, people are nowhere near the issue, and just don't know what they're talking about. I'm like, all right, I'm so glad that you brought that up, because you're talking about these Western states and how bad the wolves are going to be for all the elk and the mule deer and everything else, and they're just going to. I even there was somebody that even said that they were going to. I wonder if I can find it. Oh yeah, wolves. Oh never mind. I actually agree with that guy. <laughs> he said wolves are not going to wipe out deer and moose populations in the western state, and he's right. But then right below that, there's a guy kill every single one of them. And that I mean that that only good wolf is a dead wolf mentality is alive and well. And how we got to the point where there weren't wolves. Oh uh, man, I can't find it right now, but. Basically, he was saying that they're going to um, make elk and deer extinct in the western states because of the wolves. First of all, wolves have been around with elk and deer and moose and bighorn sheep and pronghorns for millennia. They were here way before we got here. And this... I know I'm starting to sound like an animal rights activist, but I'm not. My point is they're not they're part of the ecosystem. They belong here, just like everything else does. There is and I'm not saying we shouldn't hunt them. Absolutely they should be managed. Without question, in my opinion, there should be a hunting season and a trapping season. As wildlife managers, we have to figure out what that healthy balance is and maintain. Just like you do with deer just like you do with bears, just like you do with anything. Bears, you know, no one's saying the only good bear is a dead bear. Well, let me tell you, bears have a big impact on deer populations where they share habitat because bears will predate on fawns a lot. So for whatever reason, I suppose maybe because bears don't actively kill livestock, maybe that's they don't quite get the big bad wolf the same as the big bad wolf. And yeah, wolves kill livestock, and we have depredation laws in effect that compensate you for for that and then we if you have a problem pack of wolves or even a mountain lion or whatever the thing may be the officials come in and they remove that animal sometimes um lethally and sometimes via relocation but we have things in place to compensate for livestock losses so we just whole wolves are bad and they're it's just it's so stupid it's just that's just not how it is. And and when I was trying to argue that was my point I was trying to argue and everybody just knee jerk jumps to the other side as though I'm some kind of wolf lover anti-hunter. I'm like that is not what I'm saying. I'm saying we it's re- it's a slippery slope and it's a really dangerous thing to give into this. We need to eradicate wolves. Cuz what it breaks down to when you really start looking at these their opinions on wolves, they want deer and elk everywhere. Like just, they want it easy. You know, humans don't like change. They want to be able to just walk out and shoot as many deer as they want or eight point. They don't want, basically they don't want competition. That's pretty much what it boils down to. Um, So these anti-wolf hunters, you know, in general, I think they're basically the same as like, um, you know, 
walleye fishermen. If I'm going to stir the pot a little bit, you know, the walleye people, at least here in Minnesota, it's the same thing. They hate muskies, you know, muskies being the, to make it analogous to muskies, they fight any, any expansion of putting muskies in, in waters because they eat all the wool. They eat all the walleyes. A, it's not true. B, list me the five top lakes, walleye lakes in the state of Minnesota, and they will also be the top five musky lakes in the state of Minnesota. So your argument just doesn't hold up, and it doesn't hold up with the wolves and the deer either. You know, you just you don't want to have to work at it is what the problem is. And, yeah, are wolves going to change the ecosystem a little bit? Absolutely. They're going to find their their niche and they're going to push game around because that's what they do. You hear it in Minnesota all the time. Oh, we used to hunt in Minnesota and now the wolves are here. We're just, they're just, there's no deer left. Well, are you still hunting the same box stand that you hunted in in 1972? Are you even attempting to do any real scouting, any real actual hunting? Are you exercising any actual woodsmanship at all? But this fact that they're just not out in the place that they've always been for you doesn't mean that they're gone. It just means they moved. It means you're going to have to modify your tactics. It means you're going to actually have to hunt to be successful. But we don't want to do that. People are generally lazy. So that's what it boils down to. Um, but that got me thinking. I did a little bit of homework. And it seems the loudest, the western states, that are the ones bitching about um, the wolves killing the elk and the moose. So let's just go down. Let's go out. Let's go west a little bit. Idaho has a thousand wolves, roughly. I, I'm rounding up and I'm rounding down, whichever, um, whatever it was closest to. So Idaho, Idaho has a thousand wolves, and they're apparently that's too many for the entire state of Idaho. It's going to kill the entire population of elk and deer. I mean, that's. I don't know that if a thousand wolves ate each ate a deer and an elk every day for a year, <laughs> you're still going to have elk and deer. So can we, let's just think about that a little bit. Just pure math. Take your opinions out of it. Just go with math. They're going to be fine. Um, so anyways, Idaho has 1,000. Montana has 600. Wyoming has 300. California has six. And then even in that, I've the article, um, I, that was the other thing. I got very, the reason I'm like, rounding and putting whole numbers on this is because there was multiple articles and they all kind of swayed one way or the other. And some weren't as, you know, some were 2016, some were 2018, some were 2020. So it's, you know, 2019. So it's, you know, it's hard, but with the California one, they said six at times. So meaning they probably wander over, you know, from Oregon. So speaking of Oregon, Oregon has 130, Washington has 125, so combined, one, two, three, four, five, six, those six mountain states there that have wolves, it's 2,100 wolves combined for that entire western area. Does that sound like a lot to you? I wonder how many elk and deer would be the combined numbers. <laughs> I bet that's a shit ton. So uh, let's wander over to the upper Midwest. Michigan has 650. So they have about the same as Montana. And Michigan is a lot smaller than Montana. Michigan is, uh, you know, the southern part of Michigan is fairly um, 
populated. So now you're looking at the upper peninsula of Michigan and the northern parts of uh, Maine, Michigan there are the ones that are holding all of their wolves. Meanwhile, in Montana, you got giant mountain range. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're probably not in the plains, which is the, you know, big flat rolling hills. That's the majority of Montana. They are kind of in a little western sliver there, but it's the mountains. I mean, freaking a mountain should be big enough. Um, so, yeah, they got they got a lot. Michigan's got 650. Wisconsin has 1,000. Wisconsin has the same amount as Idaho. And, again, Wisconsin, for the most part, populated, agricultural land. It's only the extreme northern part of Wisconsin, the woods, the north woods, that has all the wolves. And they have a 1,000 wolves up there. Still have deer. <laughs> they even have elk up there. Now, let's go to Minnesota, because as this guy was trying to point out, where where am I from? And why would I not know what I'm talking about when it comes to wolves? Well, sir, Minnesota has three times the amount of wolves as the next highest states. We have roughly 3,000 wolves in the state of Minnesota. It's three times more in Idaho. It's three times more in Wisconsin. Three thousand wolves again the vast majority of those wolves are in the top i wouldn't even say one third of the state i would say they're in the top uh quarter let's give it let's be generous to say they're in the top quarter of the state the northern quarter of the state has three thousand wolves we have elk in the northwest part of state we have moose although in declining numbers uh, I'm sure wolves play a role in that, but that's not the main problem. The main problem with the wolf population is their interactions with white-tailed deer who spread brainworm. That's a whole nother rant right there um, because as we clear land for agriculture, as we promote white-tailed deer hunting in the state and going back to everybody wants to just easily kill deer, you are actually directly the more prime whitetail habitat you create, the less wool or the less moose you're going to have. So you're the problem with the moose, not the DNR and not the wolves. It's you as a whitetail deer hunter. You're the problem. Sorry, but you are. That's that's just that's just how it is. And if they in reality they should. Here's my opinion on that. They should create a moose zone in the Arrowhead region of Minnesota, and it should be intensive harvest for whitetail. I firmly believe that. I want to bring back moose so that we can have a moose hunt again. I'd love to see that, even if it's a once-in-a-lifetime hunt. That'd be awesome. But the only way that's going to happen is if we keep whitetail deer numbers down. Bottom line, that's the science. Those are the facts. This is not opinion. That is the facts. It's deer that are spreading brainworm to the moose. So there, side rant, back to wolves. 3,000 wolves in northern Minnesota, and we still have deer. I don't think your wolves in the western states are a problem. And with 3,000 wolves in this state, we absolutely should have a hunting season. They've had hunting seasons in the western states now for quite a few years. Back when they just had a couple hundred wolves, they had hunting seasons. But back here, you know, Minnesota's a blue state. And unfortunately, 
in the Democratic Party, you find a lot of your animal rights activists fall into that too. And they keep coming up with these frivolous lawsuits to to block these hunts. But if they're running out. I'm just telling you right now they're running out of they're running out of things that they can they can sue and we are going to get a season eventually. We have to. I mean I don't know how we get to this spot where wolves are untouchable. They are majestic. I agree with you. They're beautiful. I love them. I love knowing that wolves are on the landscape. I like having them out there as part of the natural ecosystem. I think they're great. I also think they absolutely should be hunted. They absolutely should be trapped. It's a sustainable resource. There's no reason not to. A a, a moose has no more right to the landscape than any other animal, has no... uh, What am I trying to say? Um, Just because it's a wolf doesn't give it, shouldn't at least, give it any higher standing or right to not be pursued as a game animal than than a deer or than a fox or a coyote or whatever the thing is. But we have, we've put these, as a society, we've put these wolves on a pedestal that is nearly religious to some people. And I, I would say it is religious to some people. And by saying you want to hunt is like sacrilege and, and a sin, and it's not. Because in reality, as most hunters, being conservationists, understand the big picture. That wolves have a role. And if you are actually a conservationist, if you are you know, a hunter that tries to make the land better and promote, and you use hunting as your argument that it helps non-game animals, you're absolutely right. But I'm going to call you out on you don't get to pick and choose. Wolves belong in the environment just as much as elk do. Listen, these wolves, in the, you're worried about the elks in the, in the western states. The only reason elk even live in the mountains is directly related to humans. When we had the market hunting back way back in the day, elk were plains game. They were they were east of the Rockies. That's where they lived. But we pushed them into the mountains and they became mountain animals. And then the wolves followed them into the mountains. I mean, that's uh, if anything, if we want to if we want to bring things back to the way they were before European settlement, we would have to trap and re- we would have to extirpate all the elk from the mountains and relocate them to the plains. But it's a new reality. And I'm, I'm fine with the new reality, but we just have to be logical about this and don't lie to yourself, right? Wolves are not the problem. They are a different factor in how you might have to hunt from here, here on forward. That's it. Bottom line. You know, you might have to move that box stand. Sorry, maybe you got to build another one. That's how it goes. If you want to be successful, you got to adapt. You got to adapt and overcome. The world is not a static place. It doesn't just stay the same. And I know people hate change, but sorry, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to modify your tactics. You're gonna have to become a better hunter. Bottom line, there it is. So with that, I've gone over an hour on my recap and rant, but there was a lot to talk about. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, don't forget, find Full Scale Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram, Dale Luganville on Snapchat. Uh, oh, yeah, I keep forgetting. Uh, do the Go Wild app if you haven't. I'm on there, Dale Luganville. It's a super fun app. They do not pay me to say this. I just like it. It's uh, You can post a bloody picture of a deer, and you will get zero 
backlash for it. It's uh, it's awesome. It's it's a cool thing. They have a, a cool point system. You know, you log in your trophies and you log in your um, your hunting time or fishing time or preparation time. There's there's a ton of stuff going on. They do a bunch of sweepstakes in that. So go wild lap. Go check that out. Uh, also, if you are consuming this podcast, thank you very much. But if you are a podcast listener and you want to find more hunting and fishing content. Please, as a member of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, download the Waypoint TV app. There's tons of TV shows on there, great stuff, um, like a, just a ridiculous amount of content on there. Uh, also, you're going to find a bunch of other, you know, subscribe to Waypoint Podcast, Collective Podcast, and within that podcast, you're going to find a bunch of different titles. So you can scratch that outdoor podcast itch, and then you can go and go wild and log your podcast time. Huh? There you go get into that uh, so do that also as as spring starts to uh, claw its way into reality here and, and fight old man winter we got to start thinking about i don't know about you but i'm been jonesing to do some bass fishing uh, i can't wait so just a quick reminder if uh, you'd like to do some bass fishing with me it's a good time to give me a call let's let's book some trips and let's get you up there hammer some largemouth some smallmouth i mean you can do whatever you want we can catch we can go fish for muskies or panfish or pike whatever you want to do um but give me a call if you're when you're planning your summer vacations keep me in mind um go to the website fullscaleoutdoors.com you can give me a call 612-209-5438 get a hold of me on facebook send me a messenger snapchat whatever there's a, a bunch of ways you can get a hold of me so let's please do that all right is there anything else i need to say i don't think so next time i talk to you Folks, uh, also I'm gonna I'm gonna record a podcast this morning. I hope if he shows up, <laughs> we have another snow goose episode. Um, so that will I'll release that before I release three cap and rant. So as you're listening to this, the next time you hear me, I will be in Missouri. So everybody, have fun, be safe, whatever your passion, pursue that full scale. <laughs>